Welcome everyone to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. For today's episode, we're going to be focusing on a skill which is so highly valued and yet often misunderstood, executive presence. With a typically murky definition and secret code reputation, it's a topic that really benefits by shining a light on it. So we're going to be discussing what executive presence is, how we can strengthen our ability to project it. So for those of you who attended our recent business education webinar, which focused on this topic, you will be delighted to recognize the return of one of our voices of experience, Adam Dill. So today, Adam's going to be building upon that conversation. I'll be asking him also a few other questions to take advantage of his wealth of experience and perspective. But before we hear from Adam, let me share with you just a little of his background. Adam right now is the Chief Customer Officer at Wicked Foods. Across his career as a sales executive, he's gained broad and extensive experience within the consumer packaged good industry. Prior to joining Wicked Foods in 2020, he held 20 different roles during his 25 years at General Mills, including his final role of Vice President Trade and Strategic Capabilities and also uh, being a corporate officer in his final four leadership roles. Adam received his BSBA degree in marketing sales and sales management at Bowling Green State University. He holds a master's degree in theological studies from Bethel Seminary, and he received his MBA from the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management. Adam resides in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota with his wife and two daughters, and he is a valued partner to Mentium, who is currently mentoring his fourth mentee. Welcome, Adam. Thank you so much. So I'd like to start the conversation off by focusing on this area that you do have a great deal of passion and experience in, and that is supporting the development of executive presence. So in discussing this with you earlier, I really appreciated your holistic perspective of seeing it as the end result of the journey that we each need to take to learn who we are and what we value. And so since for many of us, executive presence tends to be more abstractly defined, how would you share, um, would you share how you define executive presence? Sure. As I look at executive presence, I really define it as how others experience you. So the impact of your message, of your person, when you walk into a room, you know, how are people experiencing you and what impact you have on them? We used to use the term a lot, the soft skills of leaders. So how do you communicate, you know, with other people? Do people enjoy being with you? Are others drawn to you? Do you generate confidence from others in you? And so that's how I really look at it. It's just kind of your impact that you're having. And I know there's much wiser people with deeper definitions of what it is, but in everything I've read and do and see, I really think it comes down to that skill of your impact that you're having on others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so would you share with us some experience that you've had around this executive presence, maybe as a leader, maybe as a colleague? I know those personal stories always are so helpful for us to hear. Yeah, for sure. I would say before I do, I think the important thing for people to know is that executive presence is a skill. 
so you can learn it. It's not a trait you're born with. So anyone and everyone can develop their skills in executive presence, which leads to my story. I think my first experience with it was I was assigned an executive coach early in my career. And the first meeting with her is she's just asking me questions as we dialogue. And after about 30 minutes, she stops and says, great, I want to show you a video. And it was of me during this time. I didn't know I was being recorded. And she goes, Adam, I know you're friendly and happy and easy to get along with. If I didn't know you, you'd scare the living daylights out of me because when you're serious, your face, you know, kind of frowns, you're not a small man, you don't have, you know, you have a deep voice, you can be very intimidating. So if I didn't know you, I'd actually be really scared of you. And for me, that was the first kind of aha moment of, wow, what impact am I really having on others? In my mind, I had this belief of, hey, I'm funny and happy and easy to get along with and people enjoy being with me. And then to watch this video of a very serious, grumpy looking you know, person, there's such a disconnect of my intent to my delivery. And so through that process, I had to learn some things about myself of the impact I'm having. So just in one area, for me, one of the things I've always done since then, especially when I'm meeting people for the first time in my office, I'd always make sure I was leaning forward. I made sure I had a smile on my face, being very intentional that my body matched what I wanted the message to be coming uh, across there. I have one other story I'd share to kind of in that same timing, my manager at the time, amazing gentleman, really invested in me, which I appreciate greatly. I was at that stage in my career where, you know, they're going to determine, do you go higher up or, you know, go out kind of piece. And I was struggling a lot at that point in my career of office politics. You know, I kind of had this belief of, I didn't want to play in the politics. I didn't want to be there. And I always joked about our head of sales at the time could start a meeting and be like, oh, the sky is purple today. And everyone around the table would be like, oh yeah, the sky's purple. That's great. The sky's purple. And you're like, wait, the sky's blue. So why would I say the sky's blue? I'll just get yelled at, but I don't think it's purple. So I just won't say anything. And his point to me was, if you don't engage and participate, people assume you don't care. And so if you want to keep moving and have that impact, you got to vote in every meeting. Even if it's a, hey, I'm not totally sure, give me some time to think about it. But at least they know you're engaged, you're part of the process, you're in there doing it. It's a little thing, but it was something that was important for me to show the leaders, hey, I am in this. I'm a part of it, I'm participating, that I have presence in the meeting versus just using the excuse of, well, I don't wanna play politics, I'll just sit in the back of the room and kind of let things happen the way they, they will. Those are such powerful examples of the power of external feedback. Just having a video of yourself, not knowing that you're being recorded and then being able to literally see that but also that feedback that you had from this, what sounds like a mentor as well. It just sounds like it really shifted your perspective and your intentionality around it. Totally. And even that example of my facial expressions changed as a leader. Whenever I joined a new team, I kind of go through the, hey, here's who I am. 
here I his who I am as a leader. And some of the things you need to know about me, if I'm thinking really hard, I look really mad. And so if you think I'm mad or you're worried, please just ask me. I guarantee it's just me processing a problem. But I, just being able to say that up front with a team, it just, it, you know, it relaxed them a little bit. And usually they end up making fun of me down the road. If we were working on something, they're like, wow, you look really mad. You must be <laughs> thinking really hard. So just that self-awareness to be able to share it with others. Cause I know if I'm thinking hard, no matter how hard I try, my face is gonna look, I'm gonna look intense and mad. Just giving that to others to know, just there's a freedom of that. And the impact I was having on my team, they knew right away, oh, he's in this working the problem with us. Not, oh, he's mad that we're having him work the problem. That is such a great example of that clear communication so that people don't misunderstand, which I think is even more important, of course, in our largely virtual world these days. I love that you shared that. And it's also kind of an opportunity to do, as we hear so much, great leaders show vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. I know that whenever a leader is showing some vulnerability, I think there's always a stronger connection made within the group. Do you find that to be true? Personally, I do. I think it goes to when we had talked earlier, one of the things I I really believe in as a leader is part of your own self-awareness and learning about yourself and understanding what your own goals are. How do you want your impact to be? What legacy do you want to leave? And so for me, one of the important things as a leader was, hey, my family is very important to me. And so if I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and talk about the struggles I had with our family, you know, that we are going through the good times, the bad, there was a, there'd be a disconnect there of, oh, he says his family's really important. It's interesting. We've never heard anything about him. Or as a leader to say, hey, I really care about you as a person, you know, and I want to help you succeed. But if I'm not willing to ever admit where I'm wrong, (laughs) where I struggle, right? If I'm not willing to be vulnerable, it feels very false to the people you're trying to convince to trust you and you can help develop them. So I think vulnerability is super important to be able to show our humanity. Um, And especially in leadership roles, you know, no matter how high you get in an organization, you'd like to think, hey, I'm just one of the people, you know, hey, we can just be whatever. What you realize that people are watching everything you do, everything you say, because of a title, it has a bigger impact on people. So for someone with a title to be vulnerable and admit a mistake or an area they're struggling in, or, you know, hey, just that whole, man, my face looks really mad when I'm thinking. I think it enables people to go, oh, okay, I don't have to be perfect or try to hide. I can ask for help. I can be vulnerable when I don't get what this project is or I'm struggling on it. I think it just changes the dynamic of the work group. Definitely. And so then looking at this from the mentor perspective, because I know this is an area you have a lot of experience in with executive presence, and you also really enjoy supporting that. What have you found both, of course, with your Mentium mentees, but we know our mentors, when they come to us, they've already been mentoring for years, wherever they are. What have been some of the best practices or things that you find most helpful when you are supporting a mentee and mentoring them through this? Yeah, I, to be honest, it goes back to that question I asked earlier is what legacy do you want to leave? 
or what do you want to be known for as a leader? Because that's going to help you decide and figure out the leader you're going to be and where you're going to be really intentional in these areas of executive presence to have the impact you want to have. Because depending on those answers, I tell you, there's many different ways you might go about it, right? There's no one size fits all in executive presence. It has to be genuine, I think, to the person, because the minute a person tries to be someone else, tries to use someone else's leadership style or approach, it feels very fake and people see right through it. You know, with vulnerability, it's also being genuine to who you are. And so the first thing I do with with my mentees is talk about what do you really, what's important to you? What are your priorities? What's, if you think about, you know, 20 years in the future, what's the legacy you want to leave as a leader in the organization? Because depending on that's what will decide what areas do you want to work on? What does that mean for your communication? What does that mean for, you know, how you show up and how you use your body language? Because I think that's the most important part is people understand what's important for them, what they care about, what they want to prioritize, because that's going to enable them to spend the time in the areas to really improve and build those executive presence skills. Yeah. And it occurs to me, I know we certainly see this with all the mentees that we work with. The pace of life has reached a point where we really have to remember to pause and Mm -hmm. take a step back and think about what is it that we value. And I think oftentimes it's very easy to uh, not do that step. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think, so an interesting one, you know, about executive presence is usually appearance. Appearance is usually a topic that comes up and it's not how good you look, right? But it's how you present yourself in the workplace. Um, And I had a mentee once who, you know, who he was as a person was t-shirts, flip-flops, shorts, really relaxed. Like he was a great guy. But what I told him was, you're trying to work at one of the major consulting firms. They are suits and ties, Right. And so there's a point you have to understand of your values. So for him, what was your value is if if your value is I got to be me and I got to be relaxed. Well, then you might want to pick a different environment. It's not saying that consulting environment's wrong. It's just probably not the right environment for you. And I think often I see younger professionals in a certain work environment and they're like, well, I just have to mold to this work environment which depending on where it is in your values and priorities, it may be fine. But if it's really against that, I challenge you to think about, is it the right environment where I can really have true executive presence because I want to be authentic and true to who I am. So if I can't be authentic and true to who I am, my executive presence is not going to be very good. And so helping people understand it's, you know, there's multiple parts of the equation and you have control over those things and where you have, you know, a non-negotiable versus a, personally, I don't like wearing ties. I'd have a hard time being in the environment that requires me to wear a tie every day. But I also know sometimes at board meetings or funerals or weddings, I got to wear a tie. I'm okay with that because I don't feel like I'm compromising who I am, but I'm also not signing up for a job that's a tie five days a week. And so I think it's, if you've done the work about what is important for you, 
it helps you to start evaluating those different environments and where you will leverage your, you know, executive presence to really drive that impact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something a couple minutes ago that I want to ask a little more about. It's another perspective of yours that you shared with me earlier, your observations of how attitudes have evolved over the course of your career when it comes to that balancing act between work and life. What has been your personal experience with this? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in my 50s. You know, I had a father who worked at the same company his whole career, and the company came first. My dad was an amazing man, loved his family well, but in that generation, it was kind of company first. When I started working, I think that was still the mentality, but I was fortunate enough to have an executive at General Mills who used to always say, family first, General Mills second, except sometimes, and finding that right balance. And I also think, you know, Obviously, more women are in the workforce. I think men's roles and their families have been able to change and evolve. Uh, you know, I got to be in the room with the birth of both my daughters. My dad was in a lunchroom when, you know, my brother and I were born. And so because of that, I do think there is this, how do you find that work-life balance? And personally, I hate the word balance because I think that implies 50-50. And we all know in life, it's never 50-50. Sometimes family's going to need more. Sometimes work's going to need more. But for me, what I'm really impressed with the generation behind Y's and Z's is I feel like they've made a choice of what's important for them on the life side of the equation. And they're going to make the work part fit. Where my generation, we kind of had to pick the work part first and then okay, now we'll make the life side fit or the life decisions became second. And so I think that I'm really impressed that they've taken the time to go, hey, what's really important for me? And in my life, I want to do this. So because of that, here's where I want to live or here's the job I want to do. Or I really don't need to make a lot of money. I just need to make enough money that will support my hobby of doing whatever that thing might be. And so I do think... it. Our generation could take some lessons from that of remembering that balance of, hey, you know, work is a task. Family's about relationships, right? So how do I truly invest in the relationships in my family and use work as work? <laughs> you know, that whole work to live, don't live to work kind of mindset, I think is really important when you think about the whole family life balance, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. And I think it is, it's always helpful to really look and appreciate the differences with all kinds of cultures. And that includes generational cultures. And I really appreciated how you were very aware and empathetic. It's very easy for judgments to be made about different generations. And we have many generations in the workforce right now. But I think having that eye towards appreciating the value system that seems to be more prevalent with the younger generations, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I think the other piece, the part I've had to learn, and I'm still learning it, is I think I always would say, you know, I'm working for my family. They're my priority. The reason I work hard or do the jobs I do or travel for work was to be able to provide for them. 
which is true. That's why you work, right? But in that, I think the balance got out of whack of, well, I've got to do this work thing because if I don't, you know, if I don't do that, people are going to be disappointed for me at work. You know, I'm going to be a failure there, you know, versus if I truly said what's important to me, it's my family. And it's easy to tell someone you're my priority, but a family wants to actually feel and see that you're their priority. So it's really easy to go, hey, girls, you're my priority, but I'm going on these three trips. You know, <laughs> I'll see you on Sunday versus, oh, wow, your school play is Thursday night and you've been working so hard on it. I'm either not doing the trip or coming home early so I can be there. So, you know, my actions match that you're my priority. That took me a lot of years to figure out because I think early in my career, I was so kind of stuck in that mindset of, hey, I'm doing this and I want the approval of my bosses. I want them to know I'm committed. You know, I have to keep doing this to be able to provide for my family. And I think that's a false assumption a lot of us get into. And what ends up happening is we really, we shift too much of focusing on the work piece because it's measurable. <laughs> Other people yeah. get really clear feedback versus the family piece where we probably really want to invest most of our time and our energy because those are the people we care for the most in our lives. And so making sure we understand there's always going to be tension between that work life, work family, but how do you make sure the tension doesn't become destructive? And so you're making those choices. So where you think your biggest priority and what's most important to you, that they feel it. It's not just, I'm saying it. And I yeah. say all that because depending on where people are in their lives and, you know, what their, that career thing may be the most important thing for them. And they've decided other choices than I made of having a family. And so I'm not saying it has to be family over work, but I am saying, how are you really intentional on understanding what's your priority and what's really important? And then make sure your actions and your time reflect that priority. Yeah. yeah. When it also occurs to me, not only has this been a personal journey for you, but as a leader and much of your career as senior leader, I imagine it has an impact as a role model as well. Oh, for sure. And I will tell you, I was blessed working at General Mills because it truly the culture when I was there, I experienced that, you know, we call it a family culture. They're not your family, but they're the people you spend a ton of time with. But what I say is throughout my career, whenever I saw someone experience a family emergency, people just came out of the woodwork. And it was this, no, you've got to go help your family. We'll figure out the work thing, you know. And what I would say is my learning was, why wait for an emergency? <laughs> why do I have to wait for an emergency to prioritize my family? And if I can live that out and demonstrate it, where, hey, I can deliver on my work commitments. I can deliver as a leader. You know, I can achieve what needs to be achieved, but I can also prioritize my family and have some non-negotiables about when I'm going to be home, <laughs> you know, yeah. what time I'm coming in so I can have breakfast with my girls. That shows others that, oh, he talks to his family is important. And I actually see him live it out. And when I go come to him and say, hey, my daughter has a dance recital, at two o'clock on Thursday, I'd really want to go to, I'd be like, yes, you need to be there. 
right? And they weren't anxious of, oh my gosh, how am I going to cover for this? Is he, are they going to be mad? Am I going to get fired? It's no, you know? And I think most people would say, hopefully they've experienced when there's needs like that, where they work usually goes, yeah, you can go take care of your, you know, your dad who's in the hospital or your child who's sick. But why wait for those things? How do we just be intentional and have priorities to do it every day? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one other perspective I'd love to ask you to share a little bit on, because it's, you had a more unique childhood. You moved every four years and it's just a very interesting perspective. I know, um, would you share how that experience impact your career? For sure. Usually when I say that, people go, oh, your dad was in the military. And I go, no, commercial insurance. <laughs> so don't, I have no under- idea why we moved like we did. But that's just, I grew up, dad would get promoted and we'd move. And so the interesting thing is I, that was the assumption I had because that's what I, my life experience was. So when I joined General Mills and they're like, okay, we want you to move here. I was like, all right, that's what you just do in that. What I tell you, the good of that was it really taught me how to embrace going to new places, embrace change, because it was every four years there was change. And so I learned how to adapt, how to, you know, get involved in new places, how to meet people. Even though I'm truly an introvert, I can can fake the Myers-Briggs to giving me an E at the beginning because I was well-trained as a child. I learned how to do that, how to make friends, how to make connections, how to get involved in new places. And the advantage for me, I believe, with General Mills especially, is I was willing to go to those different places. So it opened up career opportunities that maybe some of my peers didn't get because they knew, oh, we can ask Adam to move there and he'll do it right? Which maybe shame on me. I should have, you know, fought a little harder on some to make them question that. But I think it did offer up some opportunities. For example, one of the best opportunities I had at General Mills is I got sent to Canada for three years to help create a trade marketing organization up there. And I think I made the short list because of my experience, but also because they knew I had a willingness to move and try new things. And so that's, I would say that's been a really positive for me. I will say, because when we talked about this before, I've been reflecting on it, probably the negative, and it's what we were talking about earlier. As a child, what I heard was work's the number one priority. Work said move, we moved. It was never work said move and we debated it and you know had a family discussion. It was, I can vividly remember a few times, We'd get called, my brother and I, to the kitchen table. And, you know, my dad would say, we're moving to Connecticut. You know, this is when we're doing it. It was never a dialogue of, hey, should we do this? How do you guys feel about it? What what impact it's going to have on you? So I think that also cemented that belief that work was most important, that I had to work really hard (laughs) through my adult life to break in that. And then I see it with my girls. So my oldest, Olivia, we moved, I've moved 10 times with General Mills. When she turned 10, she had already lived in five houses. And my wife and I just said, okay, we have to be done. We've got to, we have to give her some stability. That's just not fair. So, you know, the last 
seven years, we've been really intentional of how do we stay in Minneapolis? This is what's important for, you know, our family. And here's why, which though is very freeing for me as I, you know, talk with General Mills or with other jobs to be able to have that conversation. I'm not leaving Minneapolis. It's not an option. I can work remote. I can travel. It just helped being really clear on that priority of what opportunities I'd even consider because my wife and I knew it's so important for our daughters now to have some stability versus moving them too often, which we kind of were doing with my youngest or my oldest at the time. Yeah. 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 What a great contrast. What an evolution for you, really. <laughs> yes. I'm fortunate. I also married a family therapist. My wife, Susie, is from Minnesota and a therapist. So I have grown a lot as an adult and which actually, to be honest, I give her tons of credit has made me a better leader because she created empathy in me and awareness of my feelings and awareness of even, man, as I'm feeling certain things in meetings, what is that? Why am I feeling that way? Versus just kind of maybe in the past going on attack or, you know, trying to make my point to be able to actually stop long enough to understand, oh, you know, you're frustrated because of this reason or that reason. And it enabled me to be more impactful even as a leader overall. So I have to give her tons of credit. Absolutely. A real mentoring mentality, I would say. <laughs> yes. She has to mentor me frequently. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to end with a couple questions yes. uh, that I find oftentimes are just helpful to hear from does anything come to mind as far as we've talked a lot about different habits you have created, things you have learned, anything else when you think about what led to your success? Yeah. As I thought about it, there's really three things I would say. The first was being open to learning. What I really have seen that I've grown the most when I've actually taken the time to learn. <laughs> and that may just be a podcast every day, driving in and from work or taking some classes or attending something online. But I think it's so important of what you're putting in your mind is kind of what you think about. So for me, especially as I was really trying to uh, build myself as a leader and learn those skill sets to listen to those leadership podcasts, the trainings, kind of the development things, I think is super important. Uh, always to have that mindset of learning. I, so I think that's number one. The second one is being intentional. So even that example I shared about my face <laughs> and when I meet someone new, being intentional to realize, okay, this is their first time meeting you. Make sure you're smiling, lean forward, <laughs> you know, to even, and some people may make fun of me about this, but in my last role, General Mills, I had a team of about 100 people, a lot of young, right out of college people, and I knew my title could intimidate them. I would intentionally walk different pathways to the bathroom when I had to go, you know, to leave my office to enable me to say hi and engage with the different people on the team. And so it was a very intentional mindset of, oh, I'm heading back to the office from a meeting, take a different path. How do you say hi to them? How do you engage them? And so in different ways of being intentional, I think across the board is super important. And then the last one is a common one, but one that I learned from my father in his career was how do you treat everyone with respect? So it doesn't matter their title or their job. When they are people, <laughs> they are just as important as you are. So how do you have the same respect 
for no matter who it is in the organization, what they do versus the CEO, right? The executive group. And I think that's been a very important trait that others, especially as a leader, see and value that they know you value them no matter what their title is or what their role is. Yeah, absolutely. And my final question for you is, do you have a favorite quote? This was a hard one. You know, I was trying to think through, I don't know if I have a quote, but I do have a motto that always stuck with me. And it came from a high school, a friend of mine in high school. His mom had this by their door, their front door. So it was a family of eight boys, which she knew was just a ton of fun. But by her front door, she had a, a sign that said, return with honor. And I always found that to be a good reminder when you leave the house, no matter what you're doing in the world, how do you do it in a way with honor? So when you come home at night, you know, or you run into someone that their experience with you may not always be easy, right? It could be very tough and difficult, but even those moments, did you do it in a way that you can feel proud of, that you did the right, you did the best you could, and that you can come home, you know, head held high and know, man, I did the best I possibly could. Yes, I made mistakes, but at the end of the day, you know, if it became an article in the Wall Street Journal, I would have nothing to be ashamed of, right? And it, I, that's, I think, the motto I've tried to live by in my life and not always getting it right, but I think it's a good reminder every day of just, all right, as you go in the world, man, how do you have a positive impact in it and try to do it with as much grace <laughs> as possible <laughs> with those you're interacting with? I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing all of your stories today and your perspective, Adam. You know, here at Mentium, we have seen a lot of different evolutions of areas of focus that our mentees value. I will say one of the most common areas of interest throughout all of our 32 years is we have continued to see how executive presence is one of the top three continued areas. So I know that perspective and how you approached it is going to be excellent fodder for our participants. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be a part of Mentium and, you know, my opportunity to work with a mentee is always rewarding for me every year. So I just appreciate the impact you guys are all having on our community as a whole and really helping people, you know, grow as leaders. And so I'm just honored to have a chance to share a few thoughts that I have on it. Well, thank you. And spoken like a mentor. Thank you so much. I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining this Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with friends and colleagues. And if you're interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. We look forward to having you join us for our next interesting episode.